Good morning, everyone. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Denzel, um, and I'm a member here at Ecclesia. Uh, I pray that you've had a good week, um, and that the Lord's been good to you this week. I'm sure he has. <clears throat> uh, I wanted to begin by uh, talking about Balaam. Uh, Balaam was a prophet, or kind of an anti-prophet, in Numbers 22. And uh, one day, he rode his donkey on the way to kill, sorry, not to kill, <laughs> to curse the Israelites um, with King Balaam. Um, and God instructed him not to go, but he went anyway. And as they were going, uh, his donkey moved abruptly out of the way uh, while they were on the road, as if to avoid something. And Balaam, confused by this, hit his donkey with a stick. They went on and they walked through a, a, like a narrow path and the donkey again moves abruptly, but this time he crushes Balaam's foot against the wall and again Balaam hits him. They keep going and this time the donkey stops completely and just lays down on the floor and Balaam again is fed up and confused and then he hits him again um, and then shouts at him, and they have a conversation about it. Him and the donkey have a conversation about what's going wrong. But Balaam's problem wasn't a dumb donkey. His problem was much more serious than that. An angel with his sword drawn in his hand repeatedly appeared in front of them because Balaam was not supposed to go where he was going. And he didn't see the angel, but the donkey could see the angel. So Balaam's problem wasn't the donkey. His problem wasn't a physical problem, even though it had physical consequences. And in a slightly similar way, the same applies with our world today. We might naturally interpret our problems as physical problems, corrupt institutions, uh, health crises, destructive and hostile people human-made, anti-God ideologies and philosophies. And those problems are complex enough, but the world is more complicated than that. It's more complicated than just physical problems. Even as we've been walking through Daniel for the last few weeks, we hear of human kings and human kingdoms and what they do to glorify themselves and oppose God's people. But Daniel 10 lets us into the secret things. The world isn't a one-dimensional, flat reality. It's not a flat circle. It's a multi-dimensional sphere where the physical reality and the spiritual reality overlap and collide in ways that we don't naturally understand. And Daniel 10 lets us in on the fact that there is more than meets the eye. Would you turn to Daniel 10 to me, uh, with me, uh, and we can read the Lord's word together. I'll give you a moment while you turn there. Cool, Daniel 10, verse 1 to 11, uh, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. 
And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the river Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my, on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, in one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O oh my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now, my strength for now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. And as for me in the first year of Darius, the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Uh, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would command your eternal blessings over us. 
Lord, may your presence be with us. May your presence be our portion. Rest upon us as we hear your word. Open our eyes to your truth, that we may live out your truth. Lord, would you water the hearts of your people uh, and touch my lips as I speak. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. So this is um, Daniel's final vision, and it goes on from chapter 10 to the end of the book. Uh, chapter 10 is like an introduction to the vision, or at least uh, you know, the revelation that is going to be given to Daniel so that he understands the future of God's people. And it's about a great conflict or a great war, and that war is then described over chapters 11 and 12. Um, but in this chapter, the vision that Daniel has is so incredible that it physically does Daniel in. <laughs> the vision occurs three weeks after a fast um, in the third year of the king of Cyrus, which is significant because at this time, uh, it would have been a few years since the people of Judah uh, returned to their land after they were released from exile in Ezra 1, chapter 1, 1 verse 1. Um, and Daniel fasts during this month. Uh, during the month would have been the time of the Passover feast and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which both point back to God's release um, of his people from Egypt, um, just as the people were released from Persia and from Babylon back to their land. Um, but this freedom, this kind of freedom uh, that they get isn't the same as when they were released from Egypt. Uh, when they go into the land of Judah, uh, they face um, quite hard opposition. Uh, and we looked at this back in January when we looked through Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, and this may be why Daniel was praying and fasting for three weeks. He might be interceding for them like he did in chapter 9, as we heard last week. But he also could be fasting because he doesn't understand the vision of the previous weeks from chapter, chapters 8 and chapter 9. So the scene is that he's standing on the bank of the river. An unnamed angel appears. His face and eyes are like lightning and fire. His voice alone is like the roar of, of, a, of a full stadium. And from just seeing this angel, the blood just drains from Daniel's face. And when the angel starts speaking, it just knocks Daniel, it knocks Daniel out, basically. It leaves him unconscious. And the whole experience is so intense that most of the chapter is the angel waking Daniel up or reassuring him um, and giving him physical strength just so that they can have a conversation. And most of what the angel comes to tell him, again, is in chapters uh, 11 and 12. But in this chapter, the angel gives us some really interesting information. The angel wakes Daniel up and tells him, don't worry, you are greatly loved, don't fear. Your prayers have been heard. I was sent to you 21 days ago, but was prevented from coming to you by the prince of the kingdom of Persia, which is currently in power. But now I'm here to tell you about the end. And later on in verse 20, he says, I will return again to fight the prince of Persia. And behold, the prince of Greece will come. Now we need to ask who these princes are. One thing we can instantly know about them is that they are like the angel. They are some kind of otherworldly being. 
Um, and they are either more or just as intimidating as this angel. This prince seems to be a, a, a high-ranking demonic power who, like this angel, is unseen unless revealed. And because he's the prince of Persia, it would seem that he is over the territory of Persia. So he is some kind of territorial spirit, for lack of a better word, or, or some kind of power working behind Persia. And what we know about him from this text is that he is powerful enough to withstand God's angels, and his intention was to prevent the truth about the end from getting to Daniel. So God had heard Daniel's prayers, sent out an angel to, to visit him, but the angel was stopped from getting to Daniel, which also tells us that the prince of Persia is opposed to God's people and God's purposes and God's plans. This is all quite mysterious, but this demon or spirit has some kind of power over or in the kingdom of Persia, which might mean that there is a close connection between the physical reality of human kingdoms and the spiritual reality of human kingdoms or behind human kingdoms. Um, and I think that because, one, he is over a specific location um, or territory that seems to be identifiable both physically and spiritually, and two... In verse 21, the angel must fight the prince of Persia and then fight the prince of Greece, um, which over the last weeks we've been looking at Daniel, and uh, Greece is the kingdom that comes after Persia. So the spiritual reality follows the order of the physical reality. And here is a likely implication. Human kingdoms are humanly evil. But that, that isn't all that there is. Real and unseen powers are connected to what happens in the physical world, and they can oppose God's people. These powers, especially like in our text, work to prevent the knowledge of God and the hope that he has laid up for his people. Now, this is quite an uncommon thing to talk about, especially in evangelical circles. Uh, we tend to avoid this subject and make no commitments to it, um, or maybe we don't take it seriously. And I think the reason for that is summed up in a, in a, in a really good C.S. Lewis quote. He says, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils or demons. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, the devils or the demons, are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So they hail those who disbelieve and those who believe too keenly with the same delight. So there are two sides to this. And the first is the materialist side. So we live in a modern society that puts a a huge amount of faith in science, reason, evidence, and logic, and more recently um, puts a lot of emphasis on feelings and experience. And these things are good things. They are, they are gifts from God. Science is a gift from God. Our feelings and experience and evidence and reason, they are all gifts from God. But when they are made to be the be-all and end-all, 
When it's believed that all of existence is just physical reality, hence material, or physical material, hence material, that limits the view of how we look at the world and how the world really works and gives us the false idea that human beings can have it all figured out. And there's a sense in which we as Christians can conform to having this kind of view of the world. We believe in God and acknowledge that there are angels and devils, um, but functionally, in our normal lives, we live as materialists. We'll live as though the physical universe is all that there is and stick the idea of God on top of it. And this gives us an oversimplified view of reality. It teaches us that there is just God and us and nothing in between. And when it comes to anything like the spiritual, like miracles, demon possession, angels, or anything like that, we can accept them in the Bible, but not in our own time. We don't often tend to think about angels and demons and gods, lowercase g gods, um, and all that happens in between God and us. And we may do this as a response or re a reaction against the other side, the magician side, where spiritual things are overemphasized and can be abused and overapplied. Um, I, think, I, I think of a loved one who um, sees many things as uh, spiritual. Um, so <laughs> if, a, if a fly, if, if a particular kind of fly flies in the house, there is a... <laughs> the, this person thinks that, yeah, there's no, yeah, it's an aura, like it's an agent of evil. <laughs> so, you know, overapplied. <laughs> and I know some of us come from Pentecostal, charismatic backgrounds, where the spiritual is, over, is overly emphasised, and um, in reaction to that, we might shut off from that completely. So, for instance, like me. I come from a Pentecostal background. Um, I got saved there, got into Reformed theology, and with that, I quickly rejected so much of what I saw in that belief system and threw the baby out with the bathwater. And in the end, I became a Christian materialist, where obviously I, I believe these things exist, but I act like I, like I don't. Um, and I adopted that oversimplified view of the world, where it's just God and us and nothing in between. But I'm more faithful and more biblical understanding of the world is that the physical and the spiritual are more messy and they are more enmeshed than we can scientifically explain. Yet it also shouldn't be something that we are stupidly over and just over-occupied with. And this is really important because we can't fully understand the world unless we realize that supernatural powers of evil are at work. We can't understand the world fully unless we realize that there are supernatural powers of evil at work. And we ought to pray that God gives us some kind of thinking on this. It's not an area that we should just leave to whatever. There was a missionary in the 80s, um, who spoke about his time in India. Um, he, was from, he was from the West, I think it was either America or the UK. Um, and they 
uh, went into Indian villages, preached the gospel, and indigenous people came to faith. But there was one instance when smallpox had spread through the village, and the Western missionaries had given them medicine, but it didn't work. And the village children, the, ind the indigenous children, um, died because of the smallpox. And the indigenous people couldn't help but interpret this as a spiritual problem that needed more than medicine. But the Western Christians, with their oversimplified view of just God and us, had no answers for the indigenous people. And so instead, because the Christians had no answer, they did what they normally would, and they went to the witch doctor and offered up sacrifices because that was the only answer that they had, even though, the, even though they, they had become Christians because of the missionaries. And in the same way, there will come a time when we can't afford to ignore this spiritual side of reality. And if we ignore it, we will give up what the Bible says and substitute it for something else. And we'll be unaware about God's help for us in spiritual things like the indigenous people. So then, we should ask, what spiritual realities affect our lives today? First, we must look to God's word. And immediately, at the very beginning of the Bible story, there is supernatural, satanic, and demonic influence on humans that motivates sin and rebellion against God, namely Adam and Eve and the snake or the serpent. In Genesis 6, fallen angelic beings mingle with humans, which then accelerate human evil. So then again, you have demonic influence. And then you have the flood as a response to that. Fast forward to the New Testament. The devil's schemes are shown all over. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the God of this world, again, so the God, a spiritual ruler over a human domain, blinds the minds of unbelievers from seeing the light of the gospel. That God is also a lowercase God. Ephesians 2 says that unbelievers aren't just evil on their own, but the prince, there's our word again, the prince of the power of the air is the spirit that is now at work in those who don't obey God. Revelations 12.9 says Satan seeks to deceive the world. In 1 Thessalonians 2.18, Paul shows that the devil prevents the work of the gospel. He prevents the work of mission and so on. And we're told especially about the devil, but there are also other authority or authoritarian figures who exist under him, and they are described in the New Testament as rulers and authorities, which indicate that they are in authority and they rule in our world, just like the prince of Persia. Again, prince is an authoritative, authoritative title. But we must be careful when we speak about the devil to remember that the devil is not God's opposite. They are not on the same playing field. God is all-powerful. The devil is not. God is all-knowing. The devil is not. God is all-present. The devil is not. But our enemy is an organized kingdom of authorities in rebellion against God that spread across the world in real time and in real places. 
And going back to Daniel 10, the fact that the angel was prevented from revealing a message from God to Daniel might tell us, consistent with all the other, um, men- all the, all the other things that I've mentioned uh, from the Bible uh, about spiritual realities and spiritual evils, is that one of the main aims of our enemy is to conceal the truth of God in the world and to conceal his purposes in the world. And we must take that seriously because we're not materialists. Uh, science does not and cannot answer everything. Spiritual forces more powerful than us are at work behind governments and kingdoms and cultures. They are behind ideologies. They're even behind philosophies of science. And they are all raised against the knowledge of Christ. Our problems are not just human. Paul in Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against humans, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, for me, that begs the question, does that mean that there's a Prince of Lewisham? (laughs) Is there a Prince of London? I can't fully say But God's word makes clear that spiritual activity goes on in very very real ways in our world. And it doesn't have to look how the horror films uh, show it, though I would say that they are included. It could be that what a society or culture fixates itself on is a result from, or a result of spiritual influences. So corruption and moral evil in governments can be influenced by cosmic powers. Don't be too quick to say amen, though, because you don't like politicians. (laughs) Moral decline and callousness, sorry, yeah, callousness toward human life, like normalizing the slaughter of unborn children, or when our young people have no problem murdering each other in the streets. These two can be driven by cosmic powers somehow pervading our communities. The obsession and preoccupation with anti-God or anti-creation sexual behaviors and philosophies can be driven by these powers. Interesting. Perhaps not all mental health problems are just mental health. Some problems can't be explained by science or psychology. Some problems are beyond therapy and medication. What about the media? The media increasingly toys with the idea of hell and demons and spirituality, and it can seem harmless and inquisitive. But we don't know what things are driving that. Different ideologies and philosophies that are prevalent and that we do come across can be influenced by cosmic powers. And the enemy knows how to make cultures godless, even in the everyday, so that the the demonic, anti-God ideas and behaviors are made normal. 
Again, I point back to something like abortion. False theologies, false doctrine. Paul calls some of these not doctrines of evil humans, but he calls them the doctrines of demons. Disunity in the church. That can be caused by powers working in the church to divide it so that it doesn't preach the gospel, so that we don't love each other. We're not immune just because we're Christians. And this might all sound very crazy, <laughs> um, but if we believe the Bible, we have to believe that there are spirits at work behind the age, behind cultures. And it's been this way since the beginning, like I quoted um, in Genesis 3. And if, these, if all of these spiritual powers were revealed to us uh, in their fullness, we probably, like Daniel, would be overwhelmed. In fact, not even seeing them is overwhelming, knowing that there are evil powers at work in the world that you cannot see. It's like you're trying to fight Mike Tyson blindfolded. And Daniel 10 highlights the important necessity of prayer. So looking back to the text, it may not be a coincidence that Daniel's time of praying and fasting lasted the same amount of time it took for the angel to get to him. When he's praying for those three weeks, I assume he's not praying for the angel, but was praying either that God would reveal truth or help his people in Judah. And it could be that Daniel's persistent prayer gave victory for the angel against the prince of Persia. And when we persevere in prayer for our families and our friends and our societies and governments, or when we seek God's help to understand his word, we have no clue how God is answering our prayers, our small prayers, or who he is sending out in answer to our prayers, even if spiritual powers seek to prevent God's truth from changing the lives of our families, our friends, and our cities. James 5.16 says, The prayers of a righteous person has great power in its working. Our small prayers are heard by God, and he motions his hand to respond against the spiritual forces that exercise power over our world. So by implication, what the faithful few do on a Tuesday evening when they pray, like Mr. Carnegie was inviting us to, or even our small, quiet daily prayers, they take on a new significance because the prayers of a righteous person have great power in its working. And so evil forces work to further evil in the world. But when we appeal to our God, who is good, he hears our prayers and furthers his goodness in the world, even when we can't see what he's doing. And in light of Daniel's overwhelmness, and perhaps our overwhelmness at the evil in our world, God sends help. He brings encouragement and comfort. 
And I think he does so in three ways. The first encouragement is that in the face of the unseen powers of the world, God fights for his people. In Daniel 10, God sends the angel and Michael the archangel to bring Daniel understanding and comfort. And these angels fight against the powers that oppose God's people. Our God is the Lord of hosts. And that word hosts doesn't mean hosting a party. Host means army. So angels are not the cute winged babies that are often depicted. They are more like superhuman mercenary style ministers. God protecting us and the unseen working of good in the world may be by means of these mercenary style angels that he deploys. So Psalm 34 verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Hebrews 1.14 tells us that angels are ministering spirits sent out for the sake of those, sorry, sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. The Lord ensures that we are fought for in battles that we cannot see. But more than this, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies himself, utterly superior to any other power, came down in human form to destroy the spiritual powers that plague the world. I made reference, not many references, to Satan in serpent form who influenced Adam and Eve to rebel against God. And God's immediate response was that he will crush the serpent's head, though it will bruise his heel. He will defeat the evil spirits in the world that rebel against God and influence human rebellion. Jesus Christ is the one that when he stepped on the scene, demons, rulers, authorities, they knew who he was and trembled before him. And he showed his full authority and power over them. And more than that, Colossians 2.15 says to us, he disarmed or stripped off the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Jesus Christ is victorious over all spiritual and supernatural powers and authorities. By his death on the cross, that was the, br the bruising of his heel, he crushed the head and power of the serpent. Christ exposed these spiritual enemies to be utterly helpless against him and showed that they have no power whatsoever over him by his death and resurrection from the dead. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of history. He is the Lord of heaven and earth over every physical and spiritual territory, every nation, every kingdom. All is his and he is the Lord. And though they still operate in this world, those spiritual enemies 
still operate in this world in very real ways, seeking to hide the truth of the good news of Jesus. Jesus Christ himself is at work against them and is putting them under his feet. The second encouragement is that God reveals to us the end, which is why the angel appears. I won't go into chapters 11 and 12. I'll leave that to Rich T. But what has, Daniel, what has the book of Daniel already shown us will happen in the last days um, and, that, and that the angels are just coming to make clearer in chapter 10? Daniel 2 verse 44 tells us, And in those days, sorry, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be given to any other people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Daniel 7, 13 to 14. And to him, the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall never be destroyed. When Jesus Christ sets up his kingdom in the place of the kingdoms of man and in the place of the kingdoms of spiritual powers, Christ will rule forever in glorious splendor. And our inheritance as his people is that we will rule with him. We are in him. We are being made like him. And one day we will share his authority as well. And in fact, we will judge angels, Paul says in 1 Corinthians. We will judge angels in the new heavens and the new earth. That is our glorious future in Christ. The third encouragement is that God makes known to his people his comfort. Multiple times the angel touches and strengthens Daniel and gives him kind words. He says and repeats, man greatly loved in verse 11 and verse 19. God deeply loves his people and wants them to know that they are deeply loved. He wants you to know that he deeply loves you. He wants us to know that when we pray, he hears our prayers and we are never forsaken. The angel also says, fear not, peace be with you, be of good courage. We must not presume that spiritual powers are weak, but we must also not be anxious as though they are stronger than Christ. And Jesus offers us similar words in John, 17, sorry, John 14, 27, when he promises his Holy Spirit. He says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Why is that significant comfort when it comes to unknown spiritual forces in the world? Jesus, like the angel, tells us about his next opponent in John 17, uh, John 14, 
verse 30, three verses down. And he says, I will no longer talk much with you. For the ruler of this world, again, the ruler in a physical space, the ruler of this world is coming, just like the prince of Persia and like the prince of Greece. They're coming. But he has no claim on me. He has no power over me. That is what Jesus says to encourage us. As God sent the angel to Daniel, so also God ministers to us by his angels and sends his Holy Spirit to draw near to us, to remind us that in the midst of an invisible war, Christ is forever victorious. He has already won the battle of history. The end is in his hands already. And we have only but to leave fear behind and trust him. And his Holy Spirit brings sanity and awareness to us. We don't have to fall prey to conspiracy theories um, or spending hours on YouTube. <laughs> the Holy Spirit brings us sanity and awareness to us to understand what goes on in the world around us. And he brings us peace in the midst of a world that is chaotic, both physically and spiritually. He makes God's love for us tangibly known that we might seek him and pray that he would move his hand against evil. I just want to end with Romans, 30, Romans 8, 37 to 39. And it says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Christ or through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Uh, let's pray. Our Lord and God, we thank you that you are the true ruler. Satan, the prince of Persia, princes and kingdoms that raise themselves up against you have no claim on you. And we are in you. We are bought by your blood. And therefore, they have no claim on us. Help us, Lord, to walk in this knowledge. May we go forth in this week not afraid of demons, angels, spiritual unknowns, but may we turn to your word and see great victory in Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.